Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. It's good to see those of you who are still in town here. I know we have a lot of people traveling this week, and we keep them in our thoughts. Uh, but this is a very warm place and a warm group of people. That, that phrase, Merry Christmas, of course, has taken on a real secular meaning these days. We casually uh, greet people that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But of course, we're really not celebrating our celebration of Christmas. What we're celebrating is the incarnation of God into our world, the creator of the universe, determining that his plan would include in coming into our world to save us from our sin. And that's really what we're celebrating. The, uh, the story that is told in the hymn that we just sang, We Three Kings, is the story that we'll be talking about today as upon the incarnation of God into our world, God led his people from various places in various ways to come to acknowledge and find wonder in the reality that God had come into our world, the thing we celebrate at the time of Christmas. So we'll talk about that story, the story of the three kings in just a minute. But before we do that, I thought I would, I would tell you a little bit of family lore and my family as a way of getting into the question of the way God leads us and how we should approach times of uncertainty in our life when we really don't know what we should do. So my, my trivia question for you today, and I have a couple, is, uh, uh, comes out of the experience we have in our family that when you're a parent uh, and you're on this side of parenting, that is my children have left home, you find that the way you keep in connection with popular culture is through your children much more than the way you thought, which was that popular culture revolves around you. It doesn't. You start hearing about things from your kids. And in our case, in our family, music was a big part of our, our family, all of our, all of our family. But one in particular of my children, Michael, introduced me over the years to uh, music that I probably wouldn't have listened to as, as closely if I hadn't had Michael in the household. So one of, one of those uh, uh, musical groups that we listened to a lot in our family became one of our favorite bands, was one of the great punk rock groups from the United Kingdom in the 1980s. You know who I'm talking about? You sort of, you sort of have a, only a couple of choices here. But, and if, we, if you don't know, then we're going to ask Brian because he's from, the King, from England. In the 1980s, who, who, who was the group? Three, three guys, or four guys, actually. The Clash. So if you kids who grew up in the 80s can think back a long time to The Clash. And then here's the, here's the second trivia question. Do you know what the only number one hit in England was that The Clash had? You know what it was called? You grew up in the 80s, didn't you? Nobody knows. You got it. Jamie knows. Should I stay or should I go? which was the song about the agony that a, a boyfriend feels as he's looking at his girlfriend and not quite knowing whether he should move towards the relationship or away from the relationship. So he sings this song, Should I, should I Stay or Should I Go? And it was the only number one hit that The Clash had in, in all of, all of uh, England. Um, it's not uh, the uncertainty of boy-girl relationships that we're going to be talking about today. That's just what the song is about. But the title is what made me think about times of uncertainty when you feel called or led or, um, or, or, or directed by God to do something and you're trying to figure out what it is you should do. Should you move forward? Should you move back? It's, it's about the indecision in walking any path 
that we think is laid out for us. Uh, after all, uh, discernment of God's will is something that we talk about a lot. And it's, it's pretty easy to talk about it intellectually uh, or theologically. But when you're really facing the three doors that are in front of you and you don't know whether to go forward or back or this door or that door, it's sometimes hard to figure out what, what you should do. And that's because we're human. So at the risk of dumbing down the message to a cultural expression of a boyfriend's dilemma, like in the song, I'm intrigued by that agony that we feel as we make the decisions about where we should go in our life. And I wonder if you could be thinking about some of those things you might be facing today. We won't, I won't know what they are, but, but you do, and, and God does, at least, where there are questions that you're wondering about. Where should we go? And then let's take a look at one small group of people that were led by God to confront and acknowledge the reality that God had come into this world, the, the kings or the magi or the wise men. And let's see if we can glean something from that. Of course, God's direction in your life or in mine is not always pleasant. It's not supposed to be. Uh, I was at a meeting this week with some people in another local ministry that I sit on the board of that focuses its attention uh, on the urban youth of our community. And now the staff of this ministry in Champaign-Urbana is regularly confronted by the reality of gun violence in Champaign-Urbana that's happening right now. And they're trying to take the gospel to people who are confronting all sorts of very difficult decisions, things that I don't think I have ever or will ever have to face. And yet they're trying to explain the gospel to people as a solution to those kinds of very serious problems. So how do you determine your direction in a world like that? Do you feel threatened? Do you feel unsafe? Or do you feel uneasy about some direction you think God is calling you to move in, in your life? Where is God leading you? That's really the first question you have to ask. Now over the next two weeks, today and next week, I'll have the privilege of talking to you again next week. And we're going to talk about the question of God's leading from two different perspectives. This morning we're, we will consider where He's leading you to embrace himself and to worship him. And the next week we will look at how he leads us to protect us and to care for us. And my hope is that through this week and next you will seek God's will in order to find both protection and direction for your life. So we start with the first part of the story of the people we sometimes call the three wise men as they are led to discover and worship Jesus. But pray with me first as we begin our text. Lord God, I, I come to you and thank you that we can come together and worship you in awe at all you have done. And at this time of the year, as in all times of the year, we are amazed that you deign to come into our world to become like us and to solve the problem of sin and to offer us something beyond death, in fact life. I pray, Father, that as each of us is on our own separate pathway, that even today, even now, at this moment, you would open up our eyes and our hearts and our, our minds to situations that you are calling us to confront and show us how you continue to draw us to yourself as we 
acknowledge your love and your grace and pray that it would be very, very real in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the visit of the wise men, Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then quoting the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for, this, for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, uh, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. And going, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. A very brief encounter with the reality of God's love and his incarnation. This is the story of the Magi, or the wise men, or the three kings. Some of that uh, takes on a term that is really part of popular culture, not so much historic, but, but the scripture teaches us that there were these people who came, led by God, by a star, to visit and to worship the son of David, Jesus Christ. Now in this story, you've heard it, we'll go back a bit, we encounter several types of people. And it's, that's, how, that's how I would like to organize this morning's uh, talk is around those people. Let's look at what happened and discuss the different reactions to what God was doing in the birth of Jesus. Now, to understand the story, you need to understand the prophecy. And it's quoted several times, but let me give it to you one more time. First of all, from the book of Micah, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, of course, it, it is believed that that's a prophecy, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. That's what 
the, the uh, chief priests and scribes were saying when they talked to Herod and said, he's going to come out of Bethlehem. Now, under, look in, and see in this prophecy the consistency of what was predicted with what we know to be true about Jesus Christ. First of all, the Messiah would be fully God. And the text says, whose coming forth is from old, of old, from ancient days. God. Secondly, the Messiah would be fully man. Again, quoting from the prophecy, from you, meaning Bethlehem, shall come forth for me. And in, those, in that phrase we find that there is a physical appearance of a human being coming out of Bethlehem who would be, as we just learned, fully God and now fully man. And finally, the prophecy is that he would be a king. And Micah predicts that this ruler would be ruler in Israel. So we have the prediction that Messiah would come from Micah, or from Bethlehem. Now it's, it's not clear when this story actually happens. Historically we believe it to be in the first two years of Jesus' life as you match it up against the other chronology that we see in the, in the Scripture. But we, let's think about who these people were. We, we, um, we think of them as magicians or we call them wise men. We don't even know that there were three. We call it three probably because of the references to the gifts that were given. Um, probably but scholars think these were astro- astronomers who knew something of the sky and that would explain their uh, openness to being led by, by a star. Uh, but we don't, we don't really know a whole lot about them. But, uh, but we know that, that they came and that they fell on their knees and they worshipped. That's what we know about these people. Now, three different kinds of reactions I find in this scripture to what God was le- leading his people to do. The first reaction we see is that of Herod the Great. I've put the three different reactions on your outline in the back of your bulletin if you want to make any notes or just to see what, how, I'm, how I'm organizing this. Herod the Great. Now this is, this is Herod of Herod's family. It's not the Herod Antipas who, before whom Jesus would appear as a part of his crucifixion. This is an earlier Herod. His claim to fame was that he was uh, the one who caused the construction of the second temple in Jerusalem. The scripture says in, in the third verse of chapter 2 of Matthew, when King Herod, the Herod we're talking about here, when he heard this he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. So here's the first, first reaction we come across. We have fear. They were troubled. They were uncertain. They didn't know if this was who was predicted to come. And the leader, Herod, not only out of fear but also out of the perception of a threat to his authority, this guy starts to make plans, some of which we'll see unfold next week when we talk about God's protection. He doesn't tell the wise men that though. He he says, you know, I really want to come and worship this baby myself. So please tell me where this baby can be found. You know the rest of the story as we find out that he really wants to, to kill a baby. In any event, he's afraid. He's fearful that he's going to lose his authority. This is after all to be a king and a godly king. So you can see why someone who didn't understand what was going on here would, would feel that threat. And so what, what does he do? He doesn't do what uh, he should have done. He called a lawyer. That's something that we do sometimes when we're not feeling very good about things. We call our lawyer. 
the scribes, the chief scribes and the lawyers, the chief priests, they came uh, to counsel with him and give them their scholarly knowledge of what this was all about. And that's the second group that we see. The scribes or the lawyers or the chief priests. These are the, the people of great intelligence and great um, scholarship and knew the history, would have understood the predictions that had been made. These were people who would have known the law very well. We see in uh, chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 the story of these chief priests and scribes. It says that Herod, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, referencing the Micah prediction that the king, the ruler, would come out of this small little town, Bethlehem. Now these people, I want to suggest, were examples of people who knew the truth intellectually, but were unwilling to change their lives. They knew it in their minds, but there had not been a change in their heart that caused them to not only understand the facts, but also apply them to their lives, to understand the significance that our Creator God would, would come into our world as a human being for a purpose. The purpose was to save us. Nobody really knew exactly what Jesus was going to do. We don't learn that until later, after the crucifixion, and it's revealed. But throughout His life, He is fulfilling the predictions, the prophecies, that had been made. These people would have known those predictions and prophecies, but not understood anything of their significance. And so they didn't change their lives. They were unwilling, and they fought it. They were just advisors to the king. Now, I, I am a lawyer. That, that, that's kind of what lawyers do. Uh, we're supposed to, ethically, to understand the law, give it to our clients, represent them vigorously, but we're never supposed to actually make that final jump to become like the client. And uh, that's what allows us to do our job well. That's not what was supposed to be happening here. These were the chief priests and scribes living in Jesus' time who were not explaining the spiritual significance to the people or especially to Herod. So then we come to the third reaction. The third reaction is the magi themselves, the wise men, the kings. Uh, Rudy read to us the prediction or the prophecy that had been given many, many years before by the prophet Balaam. You may remember the story of Balaam. This is the guy who was asked to reveal God's word, God's plan, God's words to, to the people of that time. And he couldn't avoid telling the truth. He, the, the people asking him to predict wanted him to have an agenda that would be uh, helpful to the human rulers at the time. But the prediction and the prophecy that he was to make uh, didn't go where the leaders wanted it to go, and that, that bothered them. This, he was an oracle. He was a prophet of Moab. Um, he was predicting uh, Israel's dominance over the nation of Palestine. And, the, and, and this prediction that, is, that we read about today happens during the time of Israel's wanderings in the wilderness. So you can see it's many, many years before Jesus was born. Uh, again, to repeat just a part of what Rudy read to us in the 24th chapter of Numbers, I see him, Balaam says, I see him but not now, I behold him but not near. He's looking out and away and he's not looking at something that's right in front of the people at the time. He says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. 
It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. You can see why the leaders of the time in Moab were upset about that prediction, saying that someone would come out of Israel, a star. And that's why the Magi followed the star. They were looking for the star. They were looking for that which had been predicted by Balaam. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 says that they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. In those words we find yet a third reaction to God confronting you and me with the reality of his love and his grace. These people knew the truth, like the chief priests, priests and scribes. They probably didn't know all the details. They, they had been studying ancient texts. They saw, as astronomers would see, a star that rose in the, in the, in the west, I guess. And, and they were willing to follow. They were willing to follow the light. But their motivation at some point along the way seems to shift. Uh, they came prepared to intellectually find the king. And along the way they go through a transformation process realizing more and more about what this God was doing. To the point that when they arrived their motivation was worship. And that's what we learn from this story as God leads us. Is that always He will lead us toward Him and into us a state of worship. Because we see what is factually correct and accepting it and applying it to our lives we confront our own reality, the reality of our sin and of our need for a Savior. And in turn we acknowledge the promise and the fact of how God deals with that need through His Gospel message. So they wanted to worship this baby. Now, those are the three reactions. We have, the, we have Herod, we have the chief priests and scribes, and we have the Magi themselves. We shouldn't miss the opportunity to see similarities uh, in each of these reactions to us. And truth be told, there are aspects of each of these reactions, I think, probably, in each of our lives. We, we sometimes feel threatened or fearful about the reality that there is a God that has a plan and that is active in our world and in our lives in ways that might lead us in a direction that we don't really feel comfortable going. So we, we not only fear that, but we also kind of get angry because this God is, face it, challenging our own authority over our lives. You know, we'd like to do things our own way. And as God places us in different circumstances, he, He's drawing us to Himself. We don't always want to go. And that's, that's what Herod was doing. He was angry. He was trying to take matters into his own hand and felt that he could be in his own way more powerful than this God who had given us this Savior. The chief priests and scribes. That's, I, I understand that. We, there's that in each one of us. The kind of people who are willing to or really even anxious to learn more about the text of the Bible, to uh, become very knowledgeable about what happened when, be able to quote Scripture. And yet if you never make that last step to apply it, to understand that it's describing uh, what is really described in Genesis with the fall, where because of the sin that came into the world, 
there is a need that we each share, every one of us, that cannot be fulfilled by our knowledge or our ability to quote scripture or even coming to church or being part of a community as wonderful and as warm as this one is. That's not the key. The key is that Jesus came into this world, died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. And I didn't make, I, I didn't make him do it. He did it out of his own love for us. And yet I get the benefit of it. And when I apply that truth to my life, then I change because I recognize that God is at work in a way that I have no control over. And that actually ultimately is a very comforting thought that my ultimate eternal destiny is not determined by me. I, I very much appreciate that it's a God who's in control of that part of my life. I'm not a robot. He asks me to make judgment calls and decisions and, and do things that, as we perceive where he's leading us, but ultimately he deals with my, my need. So the attitude that we would like to nurture as we, even at this time of the year as we're celebrating Christmas, really the incarnation of God, is the attitude of course of the Magi. The worshipful uh, feeling that they had about what God was doing. Now the Magi, as I said before, weren't probably sure about these things. But what did they know? What did they follow? They followed the light. That's a, that's a, a metaphor for many, many things. But I think it, particularly as you consider Scripture like the beginning of the Gospel of John, we talk about light coming into the world. And there was, before the light came into the world, there was only darkness. Now there's light. These, these people, pricked by their consciences in a way by God, uh, such that they, they, they wanted to come not just to find the truth, not just like going to school and getting your degree, but they wanted to have it applied to their life. That's why they call it the light. So they didn't know what the details were, but they knew where the light was and they moved toward it. Um, they knew the basics. They understood the prophecy, the things we were reading before. And that helped because it gave a context. And you can the same thing is true for you and for me as we become closer to God through His Scriptures and we learn of His plan, we learn what He did, we learn of prophecy and fulfilled prophecy, and I can go on and on. But in that process we then confront the circumstances of our own life in a way that makes things clearer. The light starts to shine. And it is in the context of that Scripture that I can understand more about what God is doing in my life. It's about the perspective that He gives to me as I mature and grow closer to Him through my study. So what was the result? The Magi moved toward the light. They take step by step. And as they came closer they worshipped and they were rewarded. And here's the wonderful message of this time of the year. It's actually the wonderful message of the Gospel. Recognizing that it is God who has died for you and for me and not because of anything we've done, but because of who He is and what He wants as a relationship with us because of that, we not only can understand our etern the eternal significance of this, but we can be joyful because it makes you happy to know that eternal problems that we have have been solved, not by me, not by you, but by God. So it gave them great joy. We read in verses 9 through 11 in Matthew 2, After listening to the king they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest 
over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So, as we come to the reality of what God has done, and as we worship, it is always true that we will find joy. And that's why I love coming and worshipping with you every week. But it's not just here that we're called to do that. The thing I come away with in this story, and and maybe this is the most important principle that that I see for my life, You, you may take something different, but this worship experience is valid as we understand that we are not worshiping, we are not celebrating the love we have for God. Although it sometimes feels that way. You know, I'm happy, I'm excited, I feel joy. I'm sort of celebrating the way I feel. That's not, though, what worship is all about. Worship is not celebrating the love we have for God. Worship is celebrating the love God has shown for us. And that's what worship is. So I, I, I challenge you, and I challenge me as we think about what we do here in church. Where do we need to change in our, put in quotes, religious lives as we build into our weekly routine opportunities and places for worship. What needs to change if from time to time, as I suspect all of us might, we realize that we're really kind of worshiping our relationship with one another. We're worshiping the music that we hear. We're worshiping uh, the joy that we feel, the happiness that I find when I come here and I see people that I haven't seen for a week. That's happiness and that's joy. What needs to change about that experience so that you'll shift from worshiping that experience to worshiping what God has done for you. And that's not to deny the reality of the wonderful feelings we have in all those other areas, but it's really not what these three kings were doing. We we don't find out a whole lot about them except that they were joyful because they saw what God was doing in the world. So do I stay or do I go? What direction do I move in as God is calling me? You know, um, I posed that as a hypothetical or maybe even a real question in each of our lives, but I don't know the answer. When you're talking about do I move forward or do I go backwards or do I take on this career or do I pursue this relationship or, you know, what do I do in my life? I, I don't know what the answer is. That's a very personal question. It's one that you will wrestle with in your prayer life and as you read scripture and as you think about what God wants you to do. But I do know that the safest place for us is to be within the will of God. The safety aspect of that we'll talk more about next week where we see what Herod tried to do with the babies. But as we are seeking to be within the will of God, I notice a couple of things. Number one, that God, when He leads us, always leads us towards Himself. Next week we'll see as He's taking the young family other places for safety purposes, seems away from you know, the, the, the center of action in Jerusalem. But always in that process, He's leading you towards yourself. So if you find yourself on a detour, or what you perceive to be a detour, it's never, if it's of God, it's never away from Himself. He's always leading towards Himself. Um, in ministry, as we work for Him and as we're used by God, He always leads us towards His will. So as we seek to discern 
our path and wonder whether we're headed towards Him, you can be assured that if, it God, if God's leading you, He's leading you towards Himself. He's not leading you away. And secondly, as you consider what role to play in ministry within your family, within your church, within your community, He will always lead you towards His will. Now, there were, we saw three reactions to this, three alternative reactions to the reality. We can either fear God the way Herod did, and I mean fear and feel threatened. We can know the truth but be unwilling to change. But today we're called to be like the Magi, drawn to God's gospel, to the reality of what he has done for us. Who are you? Are you Herod or the scribes? Or are you the Magi? Are you willing to walk toward the light, not knowing everything there is to know, but knowing that that light is calling you and is attractive to you? Are you open to what God will reveal to you about himself and about you as you walk along that path? And ultimately, are you ready to enter into times of worship, recognizing that it is what God has done for you and for me that we're worshiping? not any kind of love that we feel back to Him, although that is the byproduct that comes out of that. Move towards the light. It doesn't matter about form of worship or uh, other than we, we, we do things according to what Scripture tells us to do, but what is ultimately before you is the opportunity to, to fall down on your knees and to react to what God has done for you. So as I conclude, I ask, how is God leading you today? Uh, are you fearful? Are you confident? Are you willing to move towards the light? And to set the stage for next week, let's also ask the question, from what is God seeking to protect you now? And we'll go into that next week. The safest place you can be is within God's will for your life. So listen and look and open your heart and God will show you where he wants you to be, and it will be joyful. Let's pray. I thank you, God, that even in times of uncertainty, we, we know that you are, are loving us and caring for us and are protecting us, and that every step of our way along your path uh, is consistent with your will for our lives. I pray, Father, that you will make that path clear to us because we acknowledge that it is not always clear and you are a mysterious God. But our faith teaches us, a faith motivated by you and the involvement of your spirit in our lives, our faith shows us that we are in the best possible place we could be when we are in the midst of, of your will. So show it to us and then make us joyful. Make us understand the application of what you have done to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.